Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Rodcast. I am your host, Emily Beatty McMullen, and today I'm joined by... Oh, I'm Seth. Seth Burkhardt, <laughs> our fantastic percussion instructor. Yep. Today we're going to be starting a new series for you. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our series where we introduced you to each one of our instructors. Um, Seth's episode was fairly recent, so you probably remember him. He's really cool, um, and yeah, I'm super excited for him to be co-hosting with me today as we start this new series. So, um, all of our programming so far with this kind of like rebooted podcast has been very, a little bit more structured, like it's been a format typically one person shows up, has all the questions, has done all the research, is like ready to guide the conversation. And then the other person is just sort of like there for the ride. And uh, yeah, so we're kind of changing that up a little bit for this series. So for now until kind of the end of the summer into the school year, we're doing something a little bit more casual. I'm calling it our uh, table side chats <laughs> because we're by the table. <laughs> um, and so basically, each week there's going to be sort of like a general theme and uh, me and whoever the co-host is for that week will just sort of chat about it, um, offer our thoughts as musicians, as people that have worked in the industry um, with different, obviously different backgrounds, but still music related. Uh, and yeah, I can't wait to see how the conversation goes. I picked Seth cause for the first week because he's got a lot of great thoughts and uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear his takes. So the theme for this week is challenge. In okay. music so just tell like challenging music i've got some thoughts I've, i have some ideas for like keeping the conversation going but i kind of just want to hear like yeah there's a there's a lot of challenges <laughs> yeah there's that's, a lot that's, of challenges i think saying there's a lot would be an, would start to say it's an understatement absolutely you know uh yeah so i i would say probably some of the biggest challenges that i've faced is learning how to effectively work as musicians together mm -hmm. that is always that is always kind of a concept you know working as a team we often don't think of as music as sports but it really is and you know i think uh the sports aspect of how you have to be a team is very similar to how you have to be a team in music and especially in my world like orchestral stuff that i've played you know well because on an orchestra your team is so big like if you're just playing with like for instance me as a pianist i've mm -hmm. done a lot of like just accompanying a soloist yeah so that's still a team effort but one person is doing most of the heavy lifting yeah. right yeah. i'm just like i'm following them i'm mm -hmm. just making them sound good if they make a mistake i can make it so that nobody notices yeah as long as they have a good stage presence <laughs> but but when you start adding more people then that challenge of working together and making something cohesive, it just continues to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, exactly. So. And and with an orchestra, it's like a lot of a lot of the weight is on the conductor. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is his responsibility to really manage and make sure things aren't getting crazy. But you know, anyone in that ensemble can suddenly take things to a different level if they're you know, unprepared. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're, especially if you're just not set up that's mm -hmm. the way for my field percussion that is that is the, the prep, first that's, that's the first sin yeah. yeah if you're not set up before rehearsal starts uh you're gonna be at a bad place mm -hmm. um yeah well yeah. and like prep prep is like super important for most people i think to have a productive rehearsal you can show up cold for things that are easy and be fine but prep is pretty essential and then on top of that there's also like being present in the moment being focused in the moment like i've been to so many rehearsals that were like two hours 
and we're so unproductive. Like that's, that's the worst. We it's, did it's, rehearsals are not actually to rehearse. That's <laughs> yes. a misnomer. Yes. It's actually to make sure things are set up correctly. Because yes. once you start running things over and over again, yes, it it goes downhill in a and, rehearsal. And it's cr it's insane. Like I don't want to make such a huge blanket generalization, but. I've been in a lot of like church music rehearsals for a Sunday morning service that were like two hours of rehearsal for like a 15 minute set list. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why, why? I, I, re I remember, I think I was like in high school when I went to my first like rehearsal like that where it mm -hmm. got over and I was like, why did we take such a long time to rehearse this stuff? And I was like thinking about it and I think it has a lot to do with like just not thinking super critically in the moment and also not having some one person or multiple people there that are like willing to say like let's move on or kind of direct mm -hmm. you to like what's what what should we work on what are yeah. things we should fix so you're just like running pieces and you're like it didn't sound good and then you just do the whole piece again and then you've wasted 10 minutes because it's two run-throughs <laughs> yeah it's it's really it really takes that special capacity just mm -hmm. you know to be aware of okay how can I maximize improvement within this moment without using the time because mm -hmm. time is the most precious thing when it comes to music because once you run out of it there's, there's yes everyone's done you yes. know there's, there's no, nothing more you can do mm -hmm. and and everything in music by definition like takes a lot of time mm -hmm. because it's not like visual art where you can like look at something and choose how long you want to look at it and enjoy it with music Unless you stop in the middle or don't do part of the song, you can't make it faster or slower other than by speeding up or slowing down the tempo, which, which is, is entirely not, effective. not yeah. possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's but, the worst. But yeah, uh, yeah. I've I've definitely dealt with some church music mm -hmm. yes. gigs where that has been the case, mm -hmm. and you know, sometimes it is wise to you know speak up in those moments mm -hmm. because if you can help the ensemble, mm -hmm. then you're helping everybody. And, yes. and, and, you know, it can be difficult because there's a lot of power people. <laughs> you know, music has a lot of powerful people with strong personalities. Yes, that is especially a, in a church <laughs> setting where everyone's a oh, volunteer. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and sometimes it can get worse if you're getting paid too. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, yeah. that could be absolutely wild. Um, yeah, it's wild. I think with orchestra, it's really difficult to organize and part of the, the the difficulty and what makes a great professional is how the rehearsals are organized mm -hmm. and you know most classical concerts even at the professional level will sometimes have two rehearsals mm -hmm. they won't rehearse one time and then go for the show you mm -hmm. know and and sometimes they can do that for certain pieces you know if like you're looking Candles Messiah or yeah or like a Beethoven a symphony times. yeah you yeah. know a lot of times if it's an old orchestra that's established they can just they can just do it because they don't even need a conductor a lot of these mm -hmm. ensembles yeah you know but when it comes to you know younger you know ensembles or maybe more beginner ensembles there's a lot of weight on how rehearsals are organized and then if it's done well there can be a very effective result you mm -hmm. know yeah. and well in a lot of the success of that even with the best organization it does depend on like circling back to what you were saying at the beginning with prep you know like the reason a middle school band doesn't have as efficient rehearsals as like the Dallas Symphony Orchestra is it's partly because the players aren't as good but part of what's making that bad is that like a middle school band they don't think about rehearsal as like the time to put together what I already practiced they mm -hmm. think of it as like the time to practice yeah that, that brings up another really interesting point <laughs> yeah. which is the idea of of equally balanced ensembles that's a really complex uh, thing that is also really important that when you have someone who's not prepared or not ready 
they're going to stand out and the level of the ensemble will usually drop to that point yep. uh, especially in orchestras where it's you know the weakest link is the, the top level of the orchestra mm -hmm. and when it comes to you know especially church bands it's like mm -hmm. when you have someone who's really outstanding and someone who's also volunteering maybe that is not and wants to compensate that's when you run into social problems within the rehearsals yes. it, it can it it could be difficult and you you need to have patience especially mm -hmm. in those type of settings because a lot of times there is no solution mm -hmm. so yeah well and like the lowest common denominator with ensembles of like you have one person that's the weakest link or maybe you have one person that's really an expert and very experienced or ver or showed up to rehearsal very prepared and everyone else is not quite at that level Mm. Like you're absolutely right. Yeah. Everything kind of like reverts to the low yeah, <laughs> instead it's, of it's, it's like hard to pull up people that aren't yeah. ready. Give the bass player their notes, <laughs> you know, and tell them where to play the notes. You know, that's not that's not this the most fun. Yeah, and this yeah, and that and that's and then of course the result is you know over rehearsing, mm -hmm. and the next thing you know, you're playing the piece three or four times, and it and doesn't get better. You the just best musicians lower their quality of playing mm -hmm. at that point. Yes. It's hard. I mean, picking, picking, that's, I think, a huge part of why, like, picking out people to be in a band is so difficult because it's like you have to get people that are very similar in skill level. Mm -hmm. If the band is going to be really successful, then they all need to be really good. Yeah, it's, have you seen Dream Theater's audition for their drummer when they had that back in the day? There's, it's all on YouTube and it's no, really. No, but I love Dream Theater. <laughs> yeah, they're a really cool band. And yeah. I think, it, I, I don't want to, I can't remember exactly all the drummers that auditioned, mm -hmm. but you can watch all of them and you can see the different styles and you can really kind of see, oh, wow, the other players are extremely connected and this one person will either stand out mm -hmm. or really show a connection with the group mm. and I think that's one of the best examples that I've seen where you can really see in a rock setting mm. you know a, a drummer who really knows what they're doing mm -hmm. versus yeah. a drummer who also really knows what they're doing but is not the right fit yeah it, they're it, not gelling with the rest of the ensemble. Yeah, yeah yeah and that's a I mean that's a huge challenge like learning how to play in so many different styles that you can be so versatile like my my favorite band of all time is Toto Oh, nice. I yeah. love Toto so much. And I don't know if you may know this. Our audience may not know this. But Toto are a band that was composed of all session musicians. Mm -hmm. So, And session musicians are, they, they have to be. Yeah, Joseph Williams is in it now. Yeah. He wasn't in the band at the beginning. But oh, yes, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. he wasn't in the band at the beginning. But he has been in the band for a long time. Um, uh, so, like, the people that started the band, they were session musicians. And one of the, I think it was Steve Porcaro. Well, the Porcaro, Mike, Steve, and Jeff Porcaro were all in the band at different times. Mm. And their dad was also a session musician. So they were, like, very in that world of mm -hmm. playing for sessions. And when you're playing as a session musician, you have to be really good. Because someone has to tell you, this is the sound that I want. This is the song we're doing. Play it. And you have to be able to do whatever they want in whatever key on command essentially yeah, yeah and so you have to be really versatile to be good at that and they all were really versatile and really fantastic musicians mm -hmm. and it's funny to me like Toto's first four albums I think all have like a somewhat similar sound in that they're all really eclectic so like you can hear some pop, you can hear obviously a lot of prog rock, but there's also influences of jazz. There's some influences of um, like almost like club music, like from the 70s. You can hear all those influences in there. And it's like, oh, where were these guys hearing all this music? 
they were playing it for other yeah. people. And so they brought all those influences and all that versatility into the music that they played. Now, it's funny. The, f- the fourth of those albums, Toto 4, is their most famous album. It won- they got a Grammy for Rosanna for that uh, off that album. I think they got album of the year for it, too. Okay. Uh, it was commercially their best performing album. Um, and that's because that's the one that's, like, the most homogenous. Like, all the songs on it sound more, like, they're all really good pop rock ballad. Mm-hmm. Well, not all ballads, but, like, pop rock music. And it's amazing, but, like, that's what people wanted. Their three albums before that were less successful because they had more, like, different genres on them. So mm-hmm. I think at that time, like, audiences thought that it was less cohesive. Whereas to me, I listened to it and I'm like, this is so cool that they were able to incorporate all of this into one album. I think it's I think it's great. Yeah. So. Do you, do you think that also their trajectory of going from kind of a steady improvement in each of their albums till they released that album, mm-hmm. uh, do you think that played a role in kind of like what makes a classic band perhaps? I think you, I you, think you know, it like sort Rolling of does. Stones, The Beatles, you all see yeah. this you see this steady growth that is that that really shows strength instead of like their first album being the greatest, mm-hmm. their second album being weaker and then a continued drop off, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we tend to forget about those artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that contributes a lot to, like, people thinking of you as a classic band, definitely. Because, like, people put a lot of this pressure on, like, the sophomore album release. And that's because there are so many bands that release one really good album, but it's kind of like a fluke almost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not that they didn't work hard on it, but, like, after that, they go in different directions or try to reproduce the same thing, and it just doesn't work out. The magic is kind of gone. And so for a lot of people, their sophomore album is kind of a disappointment. And then the third one comes out and they like figure it out. Yeah. Or, or mm. they never do anything better and they're just one hit wonder essentially. Um, but the thing to me that's interesting is when you have an artist and people widely consider their sophomore album actually their best or one of their better ones. Like for instance, Taylor Swift comes to mind, right? Mm. Like her first album, very country, very cute. You know, people loved it. I still love a lot of the songs off that album. You know, it's. I think that song, that album, is pretty classic. Okay. Yeah. And then, when she was getting ready to release Fearless, there was all this pressure of like, oh, it's your second album. You're only 18. Like, are you going to be able to top what you did at first? Mm-hmm. And between the two, most people would agree that Fearless is way better because it's a lot of more of her own original music. Yeah. And she really like found her own voice, and that album was really what like launched her to stardom. So, what do you think about? songwriters for artists especially in the case mm-hmm. of like a singer songwriter like taylor swift where a lot of these people hire other people to write their music mm-hmm. and it might not be originals and you can see that in the credits mm-hmm. a lot of times if you look and especially if you use title it has some of the best credits yes. uh you can really see the the details of oh this person was responsible for making this song mm-hmm. uh how do you feel that that would like play a role in kind of an artist's trajectory do you think that's a detrimental do you think that's beneficial i think it just depends on the person like you know, if, if you have someone else that's writing your songs, but you just have an insanely amazing voice, like, you're going to sing well no matter what song you're doing, you know? Like, and there are a lot of really famous singers that sang songs that weren't their songs. Mm. Like Elton John, for instance. Like, he wrote all the music for his stuff, but all of his lyrics were written by Bernie Taupin. They were, like, a famous duo together. Yeah. And clearly that partnership was successful and amazing because Elton John's music is awesome and... When he's delivering it, you don't feel like he doesn't mean it. Exactly. So yeah. I think it, it has to do with, like, the performance of it. But it also depends on the person because some people, like, 
like Taylor Swift, when she's singing her own words from her own experience, you can see the difference. Yeah. You know. And I think also you could look at someone like Ed Sheeran too. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. you can see oh, yeah. that you can you can see a connection that just couldn't be there if it wasn't mm-hmm. completely attached to their own yeah. mindset. Uh, well, and with like basically all rap music as well, because yeah. most like. I can't think of a rapper that doesn't rap stuff he wrote, exactly. <laughs> you know, because it's it's so personal and it's so mm-hmm. emotional and it's hard to manufacture that when you're not talking about your own life. Mm-hmm. And finding it also they're responsible for finding the groove that usually associates it with it. If they're not producing the groove themselves or the beat or the backing track that they're singing over or rapping over, uh, you know, they have to look for that. Mm-hmm. And that can be a whole nother game in itself mm-hmm. that's really fascinating yeah. and, and really exciting I think the the idea of collaboration which is so present nowadays in music mm-hmm. well and especially when it comes to that like production stuff I mean you have way more experience with production than I do like have you what what's can you think of like an awesome collaboration experience you've had with that well I mean it's it's mostly just me working with artists in a sense of, of live mm-hmm. electronics yeah. I've done a lot of those kind of things uh, I haven't really associated so much with other artists. I've really only done my, un- my I've only done my own thing with mm-hmm. production, and uh, I, I do like collaboration. Mm-hmm. But it is a really fascinating, mm-hmm. f- fascinating sphere to go into, uh, because you know that's where you're really going to be judged for what you're doing. You don't have complete creativity, and it's kind of like going back to session musicians. Mm-hmm. You have to think about what medium you're putting it for, mm-hmm. and kind of who's going to be receiving it, because you know you have to be adaptable you have to learn that when someone says there's way too much you know noise going on in the drums and i only want a basic beat you've got to say okay i'll take back all these creative ideas i had and make it more straightforward mm-hmm. because maybe that is actually more effective in the end and you don't realize it because you're you're too focused on the details of a specific you know reverb that you're spending hours on and all of a sudden you've taken your entire you know mental you've drained all your energy kind of like a rehearsal (laughs) you know it's like you're done and so it's the same thing when you're producing in that way you have to really have a regimented uh, schedule and and also just put stuff there on the track just Just create just just put something on there you don't like it move on because the creativity will die especially if you're not doing it first with having a complete idea of what you're working with and then you refine that yeah Almost, almost like the writing process, you know, with with human language. Like, mm, if you yeah. sit there and you decide, like, I'm gonna sit down, I'm gonna write this paper from start to finish, and then and it's gonna be all done. Like, you're never gonna get it all out there that fast because our brains just don't work in five-page paper increments. We have to, you have to, you know, kind of get all the ideas you have onto the paper, read what you have, then then fill it back out. You know, if you use a formal outline or if you just kind of put down all your thoughts, like you're never going to finish a paper in the time you need to finish a paper. If you're just sitting down, like it has to be the completed finished product right now. Like you'll never do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, I, I've tried to write papers, especially <laughs> five page papers. I'm just like from the beginning to the end, I'm just going to write it and I have it all in my head. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I get stuck mm-hmm. and then I delete the whole thing. You know, you, you have to have a formula that you start with. Mm-hmm. And that that's actually the case for a lot of rap producers mm-hmm. is they use almost the same drum beat for everything they do and that's their iconic sound and they've established themselves with maybe a way that they master it maybe the way they engineer certain sounds maybe what they're using as drum samples these have really been you know influential in a lot of modern 
producers, you can almost recognize who it is producing the track yeah. without even hearing or looking at the credits, mm -hmm. you know? Well, and that's true of rap and especially true of like EDM artists, like for oh, instance, absolutely. Kygo or, you yeah. know, Avicii or anything, anyone D like Dead that. Dead Mouse is a great example. Dead Mouse, yeah, yes. He's really established himself with a specific, you know, minor house. I think mm -hmm. it's, it's yeah, Sad House or something, <laughs> yeah, what, what yeah. you want to call it. Whatever you know? they call it. <laughs> but like every EDM artist, like, because they're, because they are collaborating with so many different vocalists, they have to have their specific way that they do, you know, a certain synth sound or a certain uh, effect that they have on things, a certain drum beat or whatever. Mm -hmm. They have to have something in there that's very distinctive. To, to So when you listen to it, you can tell, oh, this is Kygo because Kygo's not singing on mm -hmm. his own track, you know? And nowadays, a lot of it is visual. Mm -hmm. So much of those things, so much of the, of the album cover and how, like, you know, the logos and things like that and how you use basically branding that you would use on and any sort of a promotional material or even corporate material the same idea of having a styles guide mm. visually is really important yeah. in in a lot of uh, electronic artists especially mm. especially if they're DJing too because they need to establish something that's memorable when they're at a club or something mm -hmm. yeah to promote. and it's not like they're gonna be on the stage doing like a a flashy choreography you know like yeah you're not, it's not exactly a super visually engaging live performance without like the light show and the branding of like a logo behind you mm -hmm. and that kind of thing and and you know it's coming out of favor too nowadays but it used to be really popular when EDM was kind of at its prime of, of having record labels mm -hmm. be the promotion material for a specific sound and many people would develop ideas around kind of this record label style guide mm -hmm. in, in like production yes. and that's that was always really fascinating to me because yes. I kind of I kind of like this idea of like you know spinning records was really famous uh, there's some other ones there's a British one Ajuna Beats which is really famous mm -hmm. uh, I think R&S Records which just recently started releasing music again really? uh, yeah <laughs> they're, they're a great artist and that's where James Blake got to start actually mm -hmm. uh, and they've put out a lot of great works but they have a very specific style and it's memorable you know mm -hmm. based off their logo on their album and you mm -hmm. know that that's this is approved by this you know this label yeah well and even more broadly like i think of record labels that aren't for edm like fueled by ramen for instance or jack jaguar or any of those other like record labels that aren't quite like a totally indie record label but they're not like columbia mm -hmm. you know and they they will recruit bands like it's not it, and it's not just a genre it's like a whole vibe and like a marketing branding thing like you fit in our aesthetic and so we're signing you yeah. none such records you know it was based off of the leader of the album but he, he was he basically picks and whatever he likes is mm -hmm. what they produce and you know mm -hmm. they have things they they produce the black keys mm -hmm. and they produce john adams you know mm -hmm. they have this and then there's a lot of other artists it's it's extremely diverse but really based in the premise of kind of what a single person likes, <laughs> but it's very effective because, yeah, because it, he's you know, got a consistent taste. <laughs> yeah, and, and good taste too, <laughs> yeah. from, from a lot of people's perspectives, yeah, so. Yeah, well, and I mean, like bringing it all back to the overall theme of today, which is challenge, mm -hmm. like collaboration is challenging. We've mentioned on levels of just practically collaborating with a lot of people at once is difficult, you know, getting enough people together that are at a similar level that the magic really happens is hard. Um, collaborating in a studio is super difficult when one person is maybe like the brains of the operation. Sounds a little uh, reductionist to say it that way, but one person is kind of the creative soul. You know, the rapper comes in, the singer-songwriter comes into the studio, and they have this song, they have these words they want to say, they have a message, 
and they want to get it out there and you as the producer you as the session musician you have to realize their vision that collaboration is very challenging especially when you're working with someone that maybe isn't a great verbal communicator and can't tell you exactly what they want they just say it's not right that's, that's difficult for drummers because we're just like no do the the boom boom but you know you got this like the specific sound you want and and uh you know the guitarist is like what what, what is that mean? what is yeah. beats you know because they're interested in chords and mm-hmm. uh, strumming patterns you know that's the closest you get to rhythm mm-hmm. and so that adaptability in, in fact, you look at like the Beatles videos that they released on. Uh, I think Disney Plus released mm. um, footage of yes. rehearsals. I haven't watched them. It's but I've heard I highly good. recommend it okay. if you really want to see a, a band that's truly been together through everything mm. and the greatest successes they've they've and they're self aware of that too. And the way they function as an ensemble is they're never in each other's way, mm-hmm. but they they are you know but they're mm-hmm. not. It's it's a it's a hyper it's a hyper environment mm. with very little output because there's extreme focus on every detail and it, mm-hmm. it's really incredible. Uh, I think it's it's hard to even analyze. It's, it would take time to analyze anything about that because it's truly, you know, this idea of more than 10,000, like 100,000 hours of work, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and just knowledge of each other. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the synergy that you get when yeah, you're working with people, you've known them forever, you have a very intimate idea of what their, what their musical style is like, what their workflow is like. It's, it's, it's the idea and I think this is what every band strives for, whether they know it or not, to get to the point where together you really are greater than the sum of your parts. Like everyone's everyone's expertise is bouncing off of each other in such a way that the product you create is way better than anybody could have done in something that they did on their own. Yeah, that's yeah, synergy is a great mm-hmm. way of, of putting because it's just like you have to work together and that's that's super that's super frustrating but super <laughs> exciting too, because yeah. it's you're always gonna have to give up some of your ideas in the process of creating better ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, that's where, like, it's... You see bands, like, break up for a lot of reasons, but I think a lot of reasons, the reason why... It, a lot of bands break up because there's one person that has significantly more talent or experience, and, you know, they're writing all the hits or they're playing better than everyone and they get frustrated, or they just have a really big ego and don't like that idea of giving up some of my ideas to create something better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and leadership, then, too. Like, mm-hmm. the, if there's, there is someone who's a clear leader in the band, which happens very often, um, and someone else has an opinion that has to override mm-hmm. this opinion, and, you know, this is a conflict, a musical conflict that sometimes can't be avoided. And it's like, how do you resolve? Mm-hmm. How do you yeah. resolve this? Someone's the leader. They assume that they have to be in that position. And then all of a sudden someone else is like, I need to do something mm-hmm. that is going to break everything about that leadership. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and it's just like in any in any collaborative environment, you know, musical, business-wise, athletics, any anything where people have to work together, like, there's gonna be personality clashes and learning how to deal with that kind of conflict is, I mean, it takes real maturity. Like if you've worked with other people, you know that it's hard to resolve conflict sometimes, especially when it gets to the level where you're feeling personally hurt mm-hmm. by something someone has said, or you know, you're know, you s- throwing out the like cheap shots and insulting each other. Like coming back from that 
is really difficult. And if you're working with musicians, a lot of times the songwriting process is super emotional for people. So when you're in that, like if you're in a really vulnerable emotional place and you're feeling like you're getting attacked or that a conflict turned personal or someone's not listening to your idea or, you know, like that can be really nasty really fast. I think that the long short is just don't hold a grudge ever. Yeah. yeah. Just just be open-minded continually. Just let it go. Yeah. Because you know, yeah. yeah. so. you're going to have better outcomes if you're just open-minded and willing mm. to to accept what's happening, you mm. know. I, if we use it, a biblical reference, it's almost mm. like turning the other cheek, you yes. know, because you're learning to just say, hey, I'm going to move on from that. I understood what happened. Let's go. Let's let's move on. It, it's, yeah. And you can't insulted when people you can't get insulted when people tell you like no that's not the idea we're going with <laughs> you mm-hmm. know yeah, and because sometimes we can get attached to ideas we have you know that's in music that's in everything you you propose something to your team you you are super in love with this idea you think it's amazing and then you get kind of like a ambivalent response yeah. or or even a negative response like it's easy to get hurt or yeah. feel and offended when you're practicing by yourself music is very individualistic and it is very closely ad- associated with identity especially on the creative side of things mm-hmm. um, and also uh, from my perspective the classical side of things you can have even from the most you know structured and formulaic methods like taking an audition mm-hmm. you know you can say this is exactly how I want to play this excerpt because I want it to sound this way because it just makes sense I can mm-hmm. show you know, I have all these the reasons score. why this is the way it ought to be. <laughs> and if you're playing it, you know, let's say, for example, from my world, you know, if let's say if you're playing a, a xylophone excerpt, like they would play it maybe in a much louder ensemble mm-hmm. where you're playing with much more power and you're auditioning for an orchestra that does not demand that and does not expect that, mm-hmm. you're going to have a very difficult time conveying that regardless of how well you execute mm-hmm. the, the very uh, notion of how you're playing that excerpt. Mm-hmm. So it can be it can be even frustrating within the most you know structured types yes. of settings. Yes. Yes. Well, and like, yeah. There, there's just so many ways for there's so many ways for collaboration in a band to fail. Like, there's so many ways for it to go wrong. You know, sitting here talking for a while, listing all of them, <laughs> you, you're probably thinking like, oh, it's surprising that any band does well. And like, yeah. It is surprising that any band does well. That's why many don't do well too. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're really being negative, you know, it's yeah. like that's why so many, so many musicians will fail. That's mm-hmm. yeah. kind of sad. Yeah. Well, like, because I, I remember one time my dad asked me. He was like, "So, Emily, why do you think it is that so many musicians produce a lot of their best work at the beginning of their career?" And I was like, "Well, I'd argue that actually." the natural progression is for your music to get better as you get more experience. And when you look at like classical composers who are working primarily alone, that's almost always the case. Like Mm -hmm. if we're gonna look at Beethoven or Rachmaninoff or uh, especially Mozart, like people generally consider like the different style periods of a composer's lifetime, Mm -hmm. they typically consider the middle and late ones to be the best. And early writings will even be classified as like juvenilia that's not really mature works yet and nobody will play it. And I think that that makes sense, right? Because as we get better at something, we learn it, we we become more familiar with it. Any skill you practice, you're gonna get better at if you're, you know, trying and getting, being intelligent about how you practice. But when it comes to the collaborative environment, and with like, for instance, bands that are working together, that's not the case always, that the early stuff is never better than what happens later. And I think a lot of the reason why when people are working together, 
you don't get the same like natural progression towards better music mm-hmm. is because of all the interpersonal conflicts because of some sometimes also because of like excessive lifestyles that come along with fame and like drug use and other other yeah. stuff like and that stress mainly it's mm-hmm. it's the also the constant need to establish yourself because a lot of times a band will establish themselves with a style and th- there's also the expectations they have to reach sales mm-hmm. and to get sales they have to continue in that style and if you know three-fourths of the band or all the band is like I, we don't know what to do here mm-hmm. you know and but they still know that if they do something it's going to be effective you know it's a dilemma it's a, it can be a serious dilemma for a lot of bands to try to figure out how to navigate that because sometimes you just can't escape the style you put yourself mm-hmm. in yeah. you know it, but the great example of classical artists who've established themselves in a style and escaped it expertly would be someone like Beethoven because mm-hmm. yes. he started out you know writing in the style that was extremely popular and mm-hmm. had extreme fame because he was able to mold himself around his peers mm-hmm. yeah. first establish that and then he realized something and how to propel the very ideas of what he was working with to a whole different level yep. and and you know I mean a lot of Beethoven's later works in his more like romantic period, uh, you know, those are the works that are so so famous, and a lot of the works that people find like the most emotionally moving. Now, mm-hmm. that's partly just because romantic music we associate more with heightened emotion because of our our cultural idea. But I think it's also partly because like you can sense a lot of Beethoven's passion and 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 also skill and creativity with his later work that yeah, and i'm pretty sure musicians hated him for it too <laughs> yeah. like they were he asked things that were not attainable mm-hmm. from mu- musicians yeah. at times and of course also he was deaf when he mm-hmm. wrote his last symphony which is also a whole different incredible yeah. just just the sheer yeah. genius of how how much but anyway yeah well it's yeah the idea of challenge with collaboration with the pressure of working in a market where you're Paycheck is so dependent on your performance. Your success is so dependent on your performance. There's so many different things about that that are super Record challenging. Record labels. Record labels, <laughs> so challenging. Contracts you can't get out of. Yeah. That's so well, okay. I have I have a strong <laughs> opinions about this. Okay. So I'm gonna ask you. Okay. Um. So what? Do you, it's the 21st century now. Record labels are less useful for dissemination of music than they ever have been in the past. What are your thoughts on like? the future of the recording industry and the place of record labels in promoting artists, making them famous, being their ticket to fame. Well, I think that's, I think it's actually false to say that record labels don't play a role because I think they still play the biggest mm. role in the music industry. Okay. Uh, I, I feel very strongly that the first source of success in music is promotion mm-hmm. and ways to navigate navigate promotion nowadays effectively require a team of people mm-hmm. that know how to use the tools that we have today in marketing to be able to get you to the mainstream knowledge mm-hmm. and some of these things are you know i think problematic and how they're effective uh, but they are effective and so artists will you know artists that are just as capable as other artists do exist in a lot of cases and simply don't get the connections they need mm-hmm. due to the lack of correct marketing mm-hmm. on the on the on the on the side of the business that they're dealing with and what the contract they signed because so many artists nowadays i feel like are being signed when they have a lot of followings on social media mm-hmm. i think we can find that sometimes where it's you know a famous a famous influencer in different ad- in different like aspects suddenly becomes an artist mm-hmm. and that was the help of a record label that used the leverage of what they've built marketing wise to promote that and a lot of times you'll see other artists who are fresh out of you know school who have extreme talents and are really trying to get into that marketing world and they can't seem to navigate it 
you know, I, mm-hmm. I think I think the record labels still play a big role just because it's mm-hmm. difficult to get yourself out there without yeah. the help of someone who has the connections to get you on the streaming platforms. Because a lot of times people think you can just go through, you know, these these companies that will put you on Spotify mm-hmm. and they take a huge cut and you'll have no help promoting yourself. And in fact, I th- I'd like to theorize that you're even more hidden mm-hmm. if you're not through a record label on these mm-hmm. platforms because of the power that record labels still have. Mm-hmm. But that's my that's my strong mm-hmm. opinion and maybe well, controversial. My, I, I like, I, I think you're absolutely right saying that like, promotion is still an artist's best tool to, to be successful because if people don't consume your music, then you can't make money off of it. It's, mm-hmm. that's, that's just a rule that is still not going to change unless serious fundamental things about music consumption change in society. And I, I think you're absolutely right there. I'm kind of more on the side of like, I. we've seen so many examples of record labels just taking huge advantage of artists because they're naive and they sign a contract they don't realize is a terrible deal or the record label has so much power in the industry of promotion that an artist literally cannot make it a living without that access to the record label's resources. And my kind of like cynical hate the man side is is like, well, with all of these other tools where artists are able to directly interface with their audience, you know, things like YouTube, Twitch, Patreon, uh, all these other social platforms where artists can directly talk to their fans, they can directly distribute music to their fans, that need for someone else to do it for you is like, I think you could argue that it is going away a little bit because you can directly talk with your audience. You can directly disseminate stuff to them. Mm, yeah, that is true. I, I definitely sense that too. Yeah, if, you're, if, you, if you really navigate how you're going about things correctly, you can really be successful. And yeah, you see that a lot in YouTube and Twitch nowadays. And you know, you don't see it, I, I have to just be honest, I, I feel like you don't see it as much on Spotify. Mm-hmm, you yeah. don't see it as much on SoundCloud anymore like yes. you used to. Yeah, SoundCloud uh, used to be like the place for musicians to give music to the audience directly. Mm-hmm. And then there's places like Bandcamp, which mm-hmm. you really, it's difficult to get promotion through Bandcamp, yeah. you know. Everyone has one, but how does anyone know where you are yeah. without a means to yeah. find you out in the first place? Yeah. You still, you still, the burden on the artist is still to get a social media following, find some other way to promote yourself that isn't the traditional get a record label to promote mm-hmm. you thing. But like the arg- the uh, example that you gave earlier of like a social media influencer who like becomes a social media influencer from something else, like isn't a musician, you know, maybe they're like an Instagram model or something like that. And then they release an album with a record label. Like to me, it seems like that's like the backwards thing, right? Like if you're, if you have a social media following, then why do you need the record label? Because you already have the tool you need to get, you know, eyeballs on you mm-hmm. because people are already looking at your social media because you're already, you already have a following. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it is the, the chicken and the egg cap mm-hmm. situation yeah. in a way because y- building, there's no correct way to building a fan base. Yeah. There's many different ways because like now you have TikTok too, which, mm-hmm. you know, what's the future of that? Are people still able to promote themselves successfully mm-hmm. on TikTok nowadays? Yeah. Is it still a platform where you could become famous? Because it was at the beginning because it was still new and it was mm-hmm. trending. And yeah. in a way, if you're following kind of the metrics of what is the most popular source that people are consuming new content and you can and you can navigate that yeah you'll always be on the front line of of success with a lot of these these opportunities to be able to then do something you really want to do because Mm -hmm. you're not going to get 
to do what you really want to do without a whole lot of luck if you're yes. just going through the record yes. labels because you're going to sign a contract and you're not going to like that contract. <laughs> but if you're famous already, you're going to like that contract most likely. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's all a give and take. I hope that someday record labels die. That's what I'll say. I think I think record labels are important, but I think mm. they need to be nicer. Yes, you know? yes, exactly, right. exactly. Well, and yeah, there's just so much that goes on with like, especially young people getting that record label thinking or get contract thinking it's their ticket to fame they just sign on the dotted line without reading it without thinking about the consequences of like okay well this is actually incredibly predatory uh and that kind of thing and and i mean like that's not unique to the music industry um i think it's it's happened a lot with esports where like certain players will get signed to an esports like agency essentially and they won't realize that the contract they're under is like incredibly predatory and r a really bad deal but they're 18 and they're just thrilled by the idea that they could make money playing video games mm -hmm. and uh, there's very few who will even get offered that mm -hmm. especially in those circles you know if you're truly in esports or like music if you're playing you know at bars if you're playing at clubs if you're playing at live events that you can find and you're doing it you're going to run into a lot of musicians yeah. and if you're really doing it well and you're really focusing on constant improvement to be able to get to the level that is the the, the, the minimum mm -hmm. in the industry then it's going to be difficult to not want to take that opportunity because yeah. you see it as the next big step. Yeah. So. Well, and you're so tired, you know, like just living that life. It's, yeah, it's insane. All right. Well, I think we've had a lot to talk about <laughs> yeah. with challenging music. So maybe maybe we'll explore it next week too because um, there's a whole nother aspect of challenging music, which is like, you know, just personal challenge in music. You know, is being a musician hard? Is playing music hard? Is learning an instrument hard? And the answer is yes, but also no, but also yes, and a million other things we could say. So uh, yeah, maybe stay tuned for next week and, and we'll bring you challenge part two, but awesome. All right, well, thanks for listening in. This has been another episode of The Rodcast, the Rodman Steel Studio podcast. I'm Emily Bay McMullen, your host, and this week I was joined by... Seth. Seth Burkhart. <laughs> yeah. Seth Burkhart. <laughs> Our amazing percussion instructor, if you would like to book a lesson with either of us or with any of our other instructors, uh, head over to rodmansteel.com and book your first lesson. It'll be free. We'd love to have you. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, see you next week. Bye. Ooh.